I want to talk to you today about slaying giants. Does that sound like a happy topic? I love the sound that giants make when they fall. Have you heard it? It's very loud. It sounds like a tree, one of those big trees. Timber! And the great thing about giants is because they're so big, they fall really hard. And everyone knows it. And everyone sees it. We're going to be looking at Numbers 13, which is a really great story. I absolutely love that story. Because you know what? I feel like all of us can relate to it. How many of you feel like God has given you a promised land? That in your, in your dreams or in your mind, you've seen a picture of a future that is fabulous. And deep inside, you know God wants to give that to you. Often your environment doesn't match up, but something inside of you says, I know where I'm going. There is a promised land for me. I'm going to tell you something that's going to sound shocking, but, it's, but I want you to bear with me because it will, it will become more palatable as the sermon goes on. But here's a truth that maybe you haven't heard before. Every promised land has giants. That beautiful picture that God has put in your mind and your heart for where you're going and what he wants to do through you, guess what? There are giants in that land. But here's the wonderful part of that news is that inside of you is a giant slayer. And the reason he's giving you that promised land is because he knows that you are the one who can take down those giants. At the same time, I feel like many of us stand on the borders of our promised land and we, we see the battle that it will take to get in there. The battle it will take to become that kind of person. The battle it will take to reorganize the environment, to look that good. And our hearts quake. And the temptation at that moment is to say, I can't do it. And that's what the sermon is about. The Israelites, many thousands of years ago, had been given a promise of a land flowing with milk and honey. A land so glorious and good that when they thought about it, they just started salivating. The Bible doesn't say that I made that up, but I'm sure it's true. They had told their children about it. They had talked about it. There had been prophecies about it. All their history pointed to it, and yet they were slaves in a country where they were persecuted and treated cruelly with no logical outlet for victory. And then someone came along by the name of Moses and said, today is our day. And they faced terrible obstacles in leaving Egypt and heading to their promised land. They faced Egyptian armies, a sea in front of them that threatened to drown them, and yet God got them through all of that. And they headed off into the desert, and in the desert they were without food and water, and God did miracle after miracle after miracle. He brought food from heaven. He brought um, quails on the wind. He brought water from the rock. And every turn they saw the majestic provision of God. 
And then they came to the place where they were on the brink of the promised land. They could look over the hills to see its beauty. They could see the fertile fields. They could see the the lush fruit that grew there. And they decided to send in 12 spies to go and spy out the land so they could know how to take it. And from one of each of the tribes of Israel, they sent in these people. And these men spent 40 days spying out the land from the south to the north, from the east to the west. They found one valley where the grapes grew so, the bunches of grapes grew so big that in order to carry them back, they needed two people and a pole in between them and the grapes draped over that pole. One man alone couldn't even carry it. And they came out of the land and they stood before Moses, their leader, to give their report. And this is what they said. The Bible in Numbers 13, starting from verse 27, says this. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. And they were showing them the bunch of grapes. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Anak was the people that were largely all giants. So it was the, the nation of giants were living there. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. I don't know how there was anyone living in it if that was true. So we know it wasn't true. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. That's another word for the giants. The descendants of Anak came from the Nephilim. We seemed, this is the important phrase I want you to get. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. We looked like grasshoppers in our own eyes, not in the eyes of the giants. We looked like grasshoppers in our eyes, and therefore, we looked the same to them. Those giants looked at these Spies, and they saw them trembling in their boots, and they thought, gosh, we can take these. You know, I think for all of us, the greatest giants we will ever face dwells between our two ears. You know, these spies weren't undone by the size of the giant. They were undone by the smallness of the size of their God in their heart. They had stood at the borders of the Red Sea and they had watched it part before them. They had woken up every morning and found like a white powder on the ground and 
and had their food supplied day after day after day. They had watched Moses strike a rock and seen water flood out of it. And yet when they looked at these giants, their hearts failed. For all of us, as we stand at the borders of our promised land, the enemy is ready to puff himself up in that place. To make himself look very, very large. And his whole goal is to get you trembling between your two ears. It's to get your heart to fail. So that you won't step into your inheritance. Because he knows the minute, the minute you put your foot over that border and say, this is mine. That giants will start falling left, right and center. And his whole goal is to get you to not take that first step. For all of us, there are a number of giants that we will face in every circumstance where we are taking new ground. And the first one is what I would like to call the giant with maybe the name identity labeler. Society all around you is trying to tell you who you are. You can't watch more than half an hour of television without being told that as you wear these clothes, look like this, drive this car, drink this kind of brandy, you're a loser. I propose that there are not many workplaces that you can work for longer than a day without the environment telling you that you're not good enough. Many of you have grown up in families where things have been spoken to you. You're too short, you're too tall, you're too white, you're too black, you're too smart, you're too dumb. You two woman, you two man, I don't know what it is. <laughs> the enemy will find something. A friend of mine was relating a story to me that I found so indicative of this. There was a she talked about how growing up, she grew up with a sister who was like winning every beauty competition that was around, was outgoing, fun. She walked into the room and all the boys' knees just crumbled. And she started talking and making jokes and everyone was, it was like flies around ointment. You know what that is, you know, like bees around your open can of Coke. Everyone wanted to be with her. Everyone just thought she was absolutely amazing. And this friend of mine growing up in envir this environment honestly thought, in light of that, you know what, I'm not a very socially adept person. I can't be very good looking. And she said it was, it was like 20 years later. She was sitting having coffee with another friend, and this other friend said to her, you are so good at relationships. Everyone loves being around you. And the shock she was like, oh my word, all this time I have believed this lie about myself. And suddenly, front and central was brought the truth. No, that's not who you are. And she said, what? 
What a waste. All those years I couldn't enjoy the great gift that God had given me. Despite all the labels that the world around you gives you, I think the most powerful and detrimental labels are the ones that we give ourselves. The ones that we firmly plant on our own foreheads. There's an author called Patrick Rothfuss. I wonder if that's his real name or he just was feeling a bit grumpy one day and just made that up. But he wrote a book called The Name of the Wind, and it's not a Christian book, it's a novel, but it's a very interesting book. Read it if you want to. Rather read your Bible, though, if you want my honest opinion. But in there, one of his characters makes a statement, which I think is so profound. I feel like it's, although he's not a Christian, I feel like he tapped into some part of the state of humanity. It says this, it's like everyone tells a story about themselves inside their own head. Always all the same. That story makes you what you are. We build ourselves out of that story. And you know, I I feel like that's so true. Do you have that like narrative running through your head? And you must remember these 12 spies get to the, the border of their promised land and they've got a narrative running through their head. They've got a story running through their head. And it was the wrong story. And 10 of them go back and give this negative report. And it says, Caleb. Oh. This isn't Caleb. This was Jesus who said this. I'll get to what Caleb said later. Actually, it wasn't even Jesus. Are you ready? It was John. And he said this, yet to all who received him, talking about Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Guys, when you got born again, something happened. You thought it was just a good day where you repented of of living the old way and decided to try God. Well, that's not what the day was about. If that day, God made you into his image again. He recreated you in righteousness. He recreated you in boldness. He recreated you in capacity to learn, to live, to be victorious. He restarted, recalibrated your life. He said, let's try this again, this time with me. At that moment, every label that you were carrying was made null and void, including the ones that you have put on yourself. At that moment, there is only one label that applies to you. And it's either son of God or daughter of God. And that means you can stand at the border of your promised land and you can say, yes, we can. That means you can stand in your office despite the fact that there is corruption and difficulty going along around you. And you can say, I can do this differently. You can stand in your family where half the people aren't serving God. And you can stand there and say, I can make a difference. This family will serve God. 
You can stand starting your own business. And despite the fact that there are bills to be paid and people aren't living up to their end of the bargain, and you can stand and say, I'm standing here and I know that me and my God, we can make this happen. You can stand in your marriage that seems to have been going downhill for years and you can say, no, no, no further. This is my promised land. And I will stand before this giant and it will fall. You can stand before your loneliness and you can say, this is not the end. This giant will fall. I will be in the kinds of relationships that will nurture and, and give me life. And I know some of you men are thinking that means you're going to find your wife. And the answer is yes. It means you can stand at the border of your promised land and you can say, this belongs to me and I will take it. Because you're a son, you're a daughter. And now we see what Caleb said. The ten spies had told about how terrible it would be, and they, these giants are in the way. We can't get what you have given, what you're trying to give us, Lord. And Caleb stood up and he said, We can certainly do it. You know what he did? He went and stuck a label on his own head that said, Abel. Yes, I can. And it's not because he was fantastic or strong, and maybe he was. Later, he killed giants in his own territory all by himself at the age of 80. So he obviously was quite a strong, vibrant kind of person. But nonetheless, what he was saying is, we can soon need to it. Because I know who God has made me to be. And it's not about me. It's the fact that this is who God made me to, do, to be, and this is what he made me to do. We were born to take promised lands. We were born to slay giants. We were born to bring the kingdom. We were born to do this thing. Giant number two. You are powerless. I have a picture of an elephant there that doesn't look very powerless. Probably the most powerful land animal we have. And certainly that one looks like he's very powerful. I don't want to stand in his way. Have you ever seen an elephant at a zoo or at a circus? We used to see elephants at circuses when I was young a lot. You don't seem to see them anymore. Maybe the animal rights movement got a hold of those circuses. But what used to always amaze me when I was young is that you could go around and look at the animals like after the circus show and they would be outside the tent in their little pens. And the elephants were huge and massive and they were all, there were like four of them usually and they were standing alongside of each other with a very little fence around them. And each of them had a rope around one of their legs tied to a wooden stake that was just hammered into the ground, the very soft ground. And it was very obvious to me, even at that young age, that all that elephant had to do was lift his leg high enough and that stake would come flying out of the ground and that elephant could go anywhere he wanted to. There was no one there who could stop them. But those elephants never did. They just stood there compliantly next to each other with their ropes around their legs, waiting for peanuts. Completely clueless as to who they were. Completely clueless as to the fact that they were the giants that everyone else was afraid of. And the reason this is true is that the way they actually train elephants is that when they're very little, they put a, a rope around their leg and they hammer it to a stake in concrete. Yeah. 
And this little elephant who really doesn't have the strength of a full-grown elephant by half pulls against the stake and it goes nowhere. And after a couple of months, this little elephant realizes that when there's a rope around my neck, my leg, not my neck, my leg, I can't go anywhere. And then this elephant can be, I don't know how many tons, is that one ton, two tons, whatever, huge, able to pull anything out of the ground. And you can put a tiny little rope around its leg and it'll just sit there, meek and mild. Because somewhere it learned I am powerless against this rope. And I feel there are, there are times when we are weak and we don't really know how to be victorious in situations. And the enemy comes and puts a little rope around our leg and holds on to it tightly. And we can't move and we think, oh my gosh, this is true for always. And we allow those, those difficult times, those times when we didn't really succeed or those times that we, we achieved less, less than we thought we should to define us. And suddenly we are held captive by our own imagination. We believe the lie that we are powerless. Guys, this is never true. Do you understand this? This is never, ever true. We serve a God that will create a way where there is no way. Some years back, we had faced some huge financial bills. And we managed to pay them. You know, like we ate milli meal morning, night, and midday for a while. We, we wore old clothes. We just did the bare minimum. And we managed to pay off these very big bills. And right in the middle of that time, a friend of ours who was very close to us came and shared with us that they were going through this terrible financial time. We still had some big bills looming ahead of us. But at that moment, I felt God say to me, and Andrew felt the same, that we were meant to give this person a large amount of money. And guys, I felt that rope around my leg. You know what? I felt it. I felt it. I, I'm powerless to do this. I don't have what it takes to meet this need. But you know what? God gave us the courage to pull that rope, and to our delight, we found it came flying out of the ground so fast that it slapped us on the back of the head. And you know, we gave that money. And I got, I want to tell you, the freedom that hit me is unexplainable. I'm going to give it a good bash, but I know I won't do it justice. Like, I felt chains fly off my heart. Because what I did is I changed the view of myself and I changed the view of who God was in me. At that moment, I refused to allow my circumstance to define how generous I could be. And I said, no, I'm a generous person led by an abundant God. And if I, my success is determined only by my ability, then I'm in big trouble. And so I'm going to step past my ability to trust a God in a way that if he doesn't come through, I'm dead meat. <laughs> Seriously. The next two months must have been Andrew and my most abundant months ever. In one month, 
four times our usual salary was given to us. I know, I know. Guys, who wants that? Who wants that? But you know, it was like we had a choice. When we felt the pressure around our leg of that rope of the devil saying, you're powerless, you can't make a difference. There's no way forward. We had a choice to stand still meekly and say, that's so true. Or we had a choice to pull with all our might and say, no. We know who we serve and we know who we are. Guys, you should be applauding or something because that's good. After this, these 10 spies had told this really bad stuff that we would never make it. And then they went and poisoned the whole of the nation saying we'll never do it. And the whole nation was crying, oh no, we're so weak, we'll never make it. Joshua and Caleb stood up and they said, guys, of course we can do it. And they made the statement, God is surely with us. That is why you are never powerless. Seriously, you don't have any food in your fridge. God can turn that rotten apple that's been there for four months into a fillet steak. (laughs) And why not? And why not? Guys, he will make a way for you. He will do something. Someone at your workplace will offer you some extra work. Something will happen. Because God is with us. Guys, we look at this nation. Seriously, we look at this nation, and it is so tempting to believe that lie. It's so tempting to give up and say there is nothing we can do about what's going on. It's not true. It's not true. You can love your neighbor like they've never been loved before. You can give generously like you've never given before. You can work excellently like you've never worked before. And God will answer your faith in power. He will come through and change the circumstances. He will promote you. He will open doors for you. He will bless your family. He will create around you an environment that is full of justice and life and truth. And that environment will continue to grow and grow and grow until it takes over this nation. Because that's how God works. Guys, whenever you preach anyway, you must have a, a husband like this around. It's really great. Really great. <laughs> For a couple of thousand, he'll, he'll go with you guys anywhere you want to. Something Francis Chan said that I think is amazing in his book, Crazy Love. He said this, God doesn't call us to be comfortable. Oh, darn. <laughs> Just get over it. Okay. Just take a deep breath and say, okay. Left that comfort behind a long time ago. Let's move on. He calls us to trust him so completely that we are unafraid to put ourselves in situations where we will be in trouble if he doesn't come through. Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. Guys, let's go after the things that matter. Really. 10 million years from now, no one will care what car you drove. 10 million years from now, no one will care what title you were given. No one will care whether you rivaled Kim Kardashian in your fashion sense. Really, no one will care. What they will care about is the souls 
that came in to the kingdom through your life. What they will care about is the justice and the truth that followed your life, that invaded environments and set people free. Are you with me, church? I'm going to leave that out. Giant number three and the last one that we're going to hit really quickly. Another giant you will face is this one. That different is dangerous. That's a picture of a, a, a sort of a picture. I don't know if it's a real picture or just an artist's impression of a chromosome, a human chromosome. I study genetics at university and it has no relevance to the sermon. I just thought I would say that. No, 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 it really, no, I really am going to use it. <laughs> Look, that education has got to come out somewhere, you know what I'm saying? So here's the thing about the human genome, that means the human chromosomes, is that the more times you cross, that means have children with someone who's similar to you, the weaker your offspring will be. Did you know that? The greater the diversity in a population, the stronger the offspring will be. And it's, it's probably, it was probably five lectures at university, and I'm not going to bore you with the details. Will you just believe me? Yes, That's how genetics works. That's why when you get highly pedigreed dogs or horses or cats, they always have health problems. Because the narrower your options genetically, the weaker the offspring will be. Now, listen, I'm not telling you to go and marry someone really different from you. That's not really what I'm <laughs> trying to say. But if you do, so, you know, so be it. But what I'm saying is that made into the very fabric of humanity is this. That diversity makes you strong. Yeah. And you know what? The devil wants to come to each and every one of you and say, only associate with people who look like you who come from your same culture, who like the things you like. You're safe there because anything different is too dangerous. What's he doing? He's trying to keep us weak. He's trying to keep us narrow. Listen to me, church. One of the greatest attributes of this nation is our diversity. And we've come from a history that has tried to destroy that year after year after year after year. And still that giant is looming up in our nation in the form of racism. Things that are being said in the public arena, on Facebook, in various places. Guys, we have to be a people who resist that. We have to be a people that are determined to love people who are different from us no matter what the history. No matter what the fears of the future. We have to be a people that resists that lie of the enemy and says, I will love people different from me. I will learn from people different from me. And together, we will change the world. Someone said this. It was me. It's just hard to put your own name at your own quote. You know what I'm saying? It just feels a bit... I don't know, strange. My ability to dehumanize someone is directly proportional to the distance between us. The closer I get to someone different to myself, the more I see how similar we are. It's very easy to call someone you don't know 
because I was going to, I was going to just, I don't know if I should say that. So I'm going to skip right past it. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Mike's saying I can use him as an example, but I'm not going to. You know, you know that a certain person stood up in the public arena and called another part of the, our population monkeys. Do you remember that? It's very easy to do that when you don't know any people of that population. The further away you are from people, the easier it is to dehumanize them. And guys, don't think that that person is the only person who will ever do it. We all have that propensity if we don't push into those relationships. Every single one of us will fall into that trap if we don't push into relationships with people different to us. The devil will jump into the gap between you and them and he will create a division. And so I'm asking you, for the sake of this nation, let's be different. For the sake of our children, let's resist the pressure to divide and run to unity. Amen. And last of all, something the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 3. He said this, In the kingdom of God there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor free, female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Do you understand this? That your spirit man has no color. Your spirit man has no gender. Do you understand that? Who you are in your essence is not what culture says you are. You are who God says you are. And we can do what God says we can do. And we can be a different people, united under Christ, loving Him and loving one another. And guys, we can stand before the world and show a united front so that no matter what comes our way, we will not be divided. We will not entertain the thoughts that put a division before us. We will not allow the enemy to destroy what God is building. Amen. Amen. We are better together. And there are three giants that we are going to slay left, right, and center every day because God is with us. We can certainly do this and we are better together. Do you know that Moses was offered this when, when the... When the spies were telling their bad report, Moses was offered this by God. God said to Moses, step aside, I'll wipe out this nation and I'll make of you a nation. Do you know this was Moses' test? This was him facing that third giant. God was saying, are you willing to accept people weaker, difficult to live with, different from you? so that we can create a united nation? Or do you want to go it in your own? And I bet you if Moses had said yes, that's the last we would have seen of the Israelite nation, and it's the last we would have seen of Moses. But Moses chose right. Let's choose right. He said, no, we will go in together, even if we have to wait 40 years. 
<laughs> Amen. Lord, I just pray for everyone here. Lord, come and fill us with a fresh determination to live well and to love you. Lord God, right now in Jesus' name, I speak to every heart that has become discouraged by the giants around them. And I say to you, come alive. Your God is with you. Come alive. Your God is with you. Come alive. Your God is with you. And I speak to every soul here and I say, you can certainly do it. God is surely with you, and you are better together. Thank you.